0: I want to jump into something today, and you may have noticed if you grabbed your sermon notes that they start on three and four, Um, and if you didn't, they're still back there. You can grab them at any point, Um, because the first two points were in last week's message. Uh, I'm going to give you those at the start of this here in just a second. You can write them on the back if you missed last week's message. Also, I'm going to speak in faith that that podcast will be up. By this evening, um, we've we've started posting a a vlog version of the message, like a 10 to 12 minute version of the message on Facebook uh, on Monday or Tuesday, just a, a shareable like kind of reminder version of this. I'm even going to aim in certain series and certain aim it at like, hey, if you've got kids or you've got other family members or something that you could sit down and say, hey, there's just like a 10-minute thing that comes out in the middle of the week. Let's sit down and start a conversation together. Uh, We sit down and watch short little videos on YouTube on our TV with our kids all the time. And uh, we're just kind of suggesting like, hey, supplement at least one of the, like pause Netflix for just a second. All that stuff, it starts when you press play. So you could not press play for a second and then go over and have a little conversation about what we're, what we're talking about at church. Um, but because of that, that was all a long way of saying I didn't get the podcast up this week. I totally forgot about it because I did the vlog thing. But I'll put the podcast up too if you want to hear last week's message. Uh, we did record it and it will be available to listen to. But you won't be missing anything uh, jumping in halfway through this week. We're really kind of just talking about a filter for this question. Are you helping? So let me just start with that. Are you yeah, maybe. I don't know. Like that's kind. Of, we're trying. We're trying. That's the point. Whenever you're asked a question like that, whenever you see, "Are you helping?" I think a a pretty good, humble response, of even a good person's response, for the most part, is going to be like, "I think so. I don't know. I'm trying to." And so uh, this these series of messages is kind of designed to help us kind of answer that question a little more fully, like to to look at the text and to consider like. Well, how could I know if I'm helping? Like, how, how can I know when I should be helping and when I, when I should be pulling back a little bit? And I think the scriptures provide a pretty good filter for that. Um, but before I get into that today, whose kid is that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's my baby boy in the back corner of the room. Um, another little reminder from my public service announcement at the start of this. If you don't know about New Super Mario Brothers... Uh, on Nintendo Wii, or Wii U, or maybe even the newest game system, then you missed out on the best part of the decade, uh, last decade. You could still uh, maybe get it or something like that. So, if you you know Mario Brothers, you know Super Mario Brothers from 1985, I think, the original, like, the object of the game, which this is when I stopped playing video games, when this stopped being the object, the object of the game was, go (laughs) right. Anybody with me? It's like, what are you trying to accomplish It. Whenever I look at people playing these other games in Fortnite, and I was like, what are you trying to accomplish? It's like, well, I'm building a city, and I'm collecting lumber, and I'm like, no, I, I like a game that's like, what's the point here? Go that way. Um, that was, uh, that, that's kind of that. But there is a new version of Super Mario Brothers that came out that was essentially the same game, except that you could have up to four people on the screen at the same time. We even, one of our parties here, whenever we got together and had some pancakes on a Sunday morning, we put it up on this screen, and you have four controllers, and you're and it's super chaotic, and it's a little unnerving, and it's kind of, but it's really, really a lot of fun. And, and, uh, and my daughter in particular, my six-year-old daughter, loves to play this game with me for a specific reason. Um, now, she has gotten better and better at the game, but she loved playing it initially because... She wasn't super good at Mario Brothers, and she would get to play with me, and there is, a, there is a, a button, like a call, that you can make in this game, where you push a button, and you go into a bubble, <laughs> where you are safe from everything, and you leave the other people who are playing out there to sort of fight for you. Adeline had a habit of playing this game constantly in the bubble, right? She would, she would always be in the bubble, except except when there were power-ups and extra lives and coins to be collected and no danger whatsoever. She'd be like, pop me, pop me, pop me, because you need somebody else to get you out of the bubble, see? And then she would collect all the coins, and she'd get the power-up and be able to fly and have the helicopter hat and all the things that make you... Re- and then she'd be like, all right, back into the bubble and stay there. And, uh, and it kind of occurred to me as a pretty good example um, for, for our relationship with helping, our relationship with helping each other. Now, I don't know which side of the fence you may feel like you're on, in your relationships with other people. But sometimes, sometimes we're all bubble people. Um, And and some of us know people who are like kind of stuck in bubble mode where it's just kind of like, well, I'm going to stay safe from everything and then I'll just show up when I need something. I'll just show up when I need help, I'll just show up whenever I, whenever something goes wrong, like I'll come out, of, hey, pop me for a second, pop me for a second, I'm going to collect a little bit of that good stuff. And then some of us kind of feel abused and used at times, where you're kind of like, I feel like I'm doing all the work, and then you're just coming in and collecting all my coins, all my gold coins from me, right? Uh, any any uh, parents of millennials in the room be like, yeah, hey man, coming and collecting my gold coins from me, right? <laughs> I am a millennial, and I take offense to that, <laughs> your grins and laughter, Last week, we started this conversation about, are you helping? And I, and I wanted to I want to jump into this again and, and consider, like, okay, which, which part of this am I? How do I balance it out? How do I become the kind of person who's not just always dependent on the help of others? How do I become somebody who's not, like, just abused by, you know, other people trying to take advantage of me? And, uh, and I think maybe this is a pretty good place for us to be looking. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes to a church in Galatia around the first century, maybe around the middle of the first century, he writes in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, and we talked about this last week, uh, you, you who are godly, should gent- gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. I want to talk just a couple of things just to kind of catch you up with what we covered last week, the first two points. We looked at the f- the first half of this, right? If another believer, when should we help? If another believer is come overcome by sin. So when someone is overcome by some sin, that's when we should get involved. But that's complicated because it's like, well, how do I am I supposed to be watching to see when people might get caught up in sin? Am I supposed to be like paying attention to see if somebody might mess up and, and, and then I'm like step in and say, oh, I saw that you messed up over there. So I want to see if you needed any help. But the the best definition that I can find in the scriptures is of sin is is when someone is overcome and they know it. That sin is really defined by my relationship with God and where I am and my journey and what the Holy Spirit might be speaking to me at any given moment. James chapter 4, verse 17 actually says um, that it is a sin to know what to do, to know to do right, and then to not do it. So when is someone overcome by sin? It was like, well, whenever by their own admission, they're not doing the best they possibly could. And, and maybe that's so so when do we help? You know, another way of answering this question is like when somebody asks for help. Like our our job is not the the crusading, like, whoop, I see somebody sinning, I'm gonna go get involved. It's more of a like asking someone, hey, do you feel like are you on the best path for your life? And if they say, yep. Then out, the only response that I think we have is to say, like, all right, well, you know where to find me if you need me. And if their answer is, you know, I got some stuff that I'm really struggling with, I, I feel like I could do better. Then we get to say, oh, maybe, maybe I could help with that. Maybe, maybe I could be of some assistance. Um, and then, secondly, who should help was the second part of that verse. Whenever he says, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are what? Do you remember the word? Godly, um, so who should help is is people who are surrendered to God's spirit. Godly is not godlike uh, now, uh, now in some ways, but that's kind of a poor definition Godlike it's not this oh I who am godly, I who am godlike It's more of a it, it's, it's better defined by that by what Paul says next, but essentially we landed at this place of saying, Godliness is really just surrendered. It's just live and surrendered it's just like I. I am the who that should help when I am surrendered to whatever God needs me to do and, and whoever God is sending me to help. So let's keep moving into these other two questions today. Starting with question number three. And uh, and this is where we start to get a little bit practical. All of this is a is a little bigger than, um, than than practical nuts and bolts. Like, okay, what do I actually do to help someone? It's a little more of defining when. Or when should we get involved? And 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 our gauging, like, am I actually helping? So the first blank in your sermon notes is the word how. How should I help? I think the next thing that the Apostle Paul lines out for us really well is how do I get involved? How how can I gauge whether I'm being helpful or not? He says, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, so there's your when and your and your who, should gently and humbly get involved with a spirit of gentleness and humility how do i help with these things in mind in our most pious and religious and harsh and arrogant moments when we are feeling godlike by our own standards you know what i'm saying that like whenever we are feeling like aha i will swoop in and make the difference here aha i will swoop in and tell them the ways that they are screwing up so that i can fix them i will like when we are feeling that I think the Apostle Paul, and, and even more importantly than the Apostle Paul's opinion and the, the Apostle Paul's writings here, even more importantly than that, the character and nature of Jesus Christ would remind us that all of our swooping in should be gentle and humble. I mean, our God comes as a, Jesus Christ comes as a baby, surrendered the care of others that's how God presents himself initially that that's how he chooses to come among us gently and humbly he comes to us poor and unimpressive he comes to us with his neck under the boot of the government of his day not not the not the boot on the neck like we might have expected not the one throwing his authority and throwing his weight around but the one who actually has his neck under the boot of the government of his day He touches the skin of the sick and the contagious and the ceremonially unclean. This is gentle and humble. He spends most of his time speaking directly to and not down at the outcasts of his society. He goes into the homes of criminals and he eats their food and he drinks their wine. And when they run out of wine, he makes more, right? This is Jesus, this gentle and humble presence throughout all of it. He washes the feet of those who would sell him out. He allows himself to be arrested for crimes made up by those who feared him and crucified for sins that he didn't commit. If the Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 makes you uncomfortable whenever you see Paul saying, all right... When you see another believer, when you see somebody caught up in sin, you who are godly should intervene. You guys should get involved. Does the image of Jesus is that what makes that version that verse uncomfortable for us? Because we're like, because we're picturing a God who gently and humbly steps into people's situations, steps into their messes, or is it because we have this other version of things that doesn't look like Jesus at all? Is it because we we know of a type of 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 Christian and maybe well-meaning people and maybe people who really, really love God and really love people, like really wanting to step in and control others, right? That's kind of the fear, but, but the character and nature of Jesus speaks to It's so clear to me that he speaks that when we're thinking about helping someone, we're gauging, am I helping? Are you helping? Gentleness and humility of our Savior is how. Things are defined... By him. Um, You may not know this about me, but uh, I went to Marshall University. We are. (laughs) We are. Um, I are. I are Marshall. Um, And I got a a degree in in counseling. And how does that make you feel? Still got it. Uh, still got it. And as I was finishing up the degree, there was this kind of recurring theme uh, among my professors and, and especially among the, uh, the practitioners and the people that I got to do internships with and work with in the field. There was a, a, a theme that I found frustrating, um, but proved to be very helpful and very true. They would constantly, over and over and over again, and if you know anything about psychology and especially interventional, interventional psychology and counseling relationships, there is a a recurring idea they will tell you over and over and over again, don't give advice. You are not here to advise. You are not here to give advice. Now, when I was 20 years old and, uh, and knew how the world worked, Uh, I don't know how it works as well now at 33 as I did when I was 20, but when I was 20, I got it. Uh, I knew, and when I was being told by practitioners and experts in their field that I shouldn't give advice, my initial instinct was like, yeah, but you don't know what kind of advice I have to give, uh, right? You don't know, (laughs) like... And, and especially whenever you start to actually sit in some counseling relationships, and whether it's pastoral or professional or any kind, and, and you've done this even in your friendships, when you sit across from someone and you hear them talk about the things that they're dealing with and the issues that they're concerned with and, and the things that they're facing, and it becomes so obvious to you what they need to do. It becomes so obvious to you what the advice should be, right? It's, it's so Clear, so blare, glaringly obvious. Then this becomes even more frustrating. But I, but I want to share with you a couple of reasons why I think it's helpful that we remember this advice, not to give advice. Right? It's important to remember it whenever it comes to being gentle and humble and having good interventions. Like, am I helping? Like, well, if you're giving advice, you're probably not approaching things with a spirit of gentleness and humility that would be most helpful. There's four reasons. You don't need to write these down because they're going to be obvious, I think, as I share them with you. But um, here, here's what we, I started to discover. Like, why shouldn't I give advice even though I've got great advice to give? Well, if you tell someone what to do in, a, in this kind of relationship and they do it and it goes great, then they are likely to develop at least a little bit of a dependency on you. It becomes your victory, not theirs, right? They did what you asked them to, and then so the next time they are faced with something, maybe they will feel a little better equipped because they had a good experience, and maybe they will just feel like, well, i got to go back to Drew because, you know, he knew what to do last time, and I did what he did. And so that's not super helpful, actually. That just sort of creates a dependency. The second thing that might happen is You might tell someone what to do, and it might go terribly, and then they're going to blame you for it. Now, that one caught my attention when I was 20 years old. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that is possible, and I don't want that. I don't want, you know, something coming back around to me. It was like, you told me that I should, and I shouldn't have. Um, So there's two things. If you tell somebody what to do, and they do it, like either they're going to do it and it'll go great and you'll get the credit, or they're going to do it and it'll go bad and you'll get the blame. Neither one of those is very helpful. Third reason, you might tell someone what to do, and they might be like me, and say, well, who the heck are you? And uh, why do you you think you're going to tell me what to do? And they're not going to do it. That's not helpful either, is it? Right? So we've all kind of seen those three. And then the fourth thing, and probably the most, now, if any of these connects with you, great. Um, But I would say the fourth one probably applies the most. It's probably the most important you never know everything there is to know why shouldn't you give advice because you're only getting little bits and pieces of somebody's life why is it not our job to step in as the christian to step into another christian's life or or into an unbeliever's life and say like here's what you should do because i mean you don't know you don't know what they're dealing with i mean i hate to 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 take it this Heavy, but just as a, a pretty good example, I think, of this, just to, to solidify it, and then maybe you can find some, some less heavy versions. But, I mean, I've, I've counseled with people and worked with people who had chemical dependencies. And, uh, and anybody's initial instinct is like, well, just kick the stuff, right? Just quit it. But it's easy to see how that kind of advice might put someone in the hospital. That kind of advice might kill someone. That really might, you might not know everything there is to know to those of us who maybe aren't addicted at the moment. It's like, well, just quit doing the thing that is bad for you. That might be bad advice, and it's easy to see how everybody's life is a complicated web of things, and no matter how obvious, oh, just leave them. Just walk out. Oh, just quit the job. Oh, just, you know, pay off the debt as quickly as possible. And what like all the things that may seem like really obvious solutions, might not be the best way. And so the most helpful thing is to step into people's lives and situations gently and humbly and, and, and ask questions and try to help them discover the thing that God may want to communicate to them. And, and hopefully we, we would be open to that, right? That's why one of the first parts of this filter was you who are godly. Who should get involved? Only people who are willing to surrender to the leading of God. Because really, if all you want to do is get in and get involved and tell people what to do, you're going to cause some messes. But if you're surrendered to the voice of God, then you're also open to something that, you know, in, in some spiritual circles, we don't all believe the same stuff. That's not how, why we belong together. We don't agree on everything. That's not what makes us family. But whenever it comes to some spiritual circle, some of us like to have a little bit of moral and spiritual high ground to be able to tell people what to do with the authority of God. But I would like to share with you that God loves the person that you want to give that advice to more than you do. God wants to communicate to that person directly, really, and he may use you to encourage. He may use you to to confirm something that he's speaking to, but, but rarely... If ever, is God going to be speaking to you something that's like God, God whispering in my ear saying, like, I really, Drew, I need you to tell Megan something for me. I can't seem to get through to her. You go tell her for me, right? That would be just about as weird as any of you coming to me and saying, hey, uh, Megan wanted me to tell you this really, really important secret. I'd be like, uh, why wouldn't she tell me herself, Right? I know her better and she knows me better than anybody in the room. And I'm, you get what I'm saying? You understand why I'm saying this? Like our role, are you helping, is really to connect people to God. Get them to God. Get them to the one who can actually speak into their situation, who can understand it fully. Gentleness and humility really requires of us that we would, that we would be willing to say, you know what, I actually don't know as well as I think I do. So I'm going to do my best to just point people to God who may actually be able to help, and I'll keep showing up for them, and I'll keep standing here in the gap for them. All right, um, everything that we've talked about thus far in terms of being willing to help people when they need it most I think is amplified by these two words, gentleness and humility. The only way to get involved, the only way that's actually helpful is is to get involved in ways that are gentle and helpful. I, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives. It helps us love first. It's a character attribute of Jesus, right? It, it's the aspect of, the, of Jesus that, that makes it possible for him to look in the eyes of a woman caught in the very act of adultery and say, I don't condemn you. Now go and live a better life, right? That's gentleness. That's humility. Uh, and, and humility is this incredible, incredible Character trait, an attribute that maybe could teach us this willingness to admit that, as clear as it might be for us, what somebody else needs to do, ultimately we are ignorant of most of the details. Ultimately, that is not the job that God has put us here to play, and it's really the it's really the the problem that we have created in our culture the most as Christians, isn't it? Whenever we have wanted to tell other people what they're supposed to do, it's just not the job that our job is to connect people to the heart of God. To take them to the feet of Jesus who would look at them and allow him to say, I don't condemn you, but if you want better for your life, I'll lead you into it. When should I help? When someone is overcome by sin by their own admission. Who should help? People who are truly surrendered to the spirit of God. How should I help? With a spirit of gentleness and humility. And then finally, why should I help? And, And this one's the most obvious, all right? The first three were supposed to be good. this one's supposed to be obvious. I mean there's a fourth. Good sermons have three points. There's a good reason for that. The fourth one's not a good point. Just like, let's wrap it up, right? Let's all remember the ultimate goal of all of this is to help people. Why? Why, why should I help? To help. <laughs> why should I get involved? To help! Why should I give somebody my, my time, my counsel? Why should I show up for somebody in their life? Why should I be playing a role of saying, like, if you need help, you come to me? To help, not to manipulate, not to control, not to win, to help people discover the better life that Jesus has invited them to. Our motives have to be firmly in check. And, and we got to be honest with ourselves. Like, there are other reasons to, to, to try to get involved in people's lives. There are other reasons. We we might do things just to try to make ourselves feel better. That's not the worst reason, right? Maybe that's fine. That's a good place to start. Like, I like to help people because it makes me feel better. It's like, okay, but that's still about you. (laughs) That may not do damage, um, but it still makes your helping someone else about you and and what you're trying to get out of the relationship. But, I mean, that's kind of a a motivator that that could eventually have some problems. We might try to do these things to, to get some sort of control over people. Religion has certainly been used for that. Like, why are you guys trying to help? Well, if we're honest about it, we're trying to get a little control here. We're trying to get a little piece of the pie. We're trying to get a little bit of the, the power. We might be, be uh, tempted, motivated to get involved, to, to get some sort of social or religious or political agenda f- moved forward. Right. That's kind of a, that is a, a real opportunity here, but I don't think it's the most helpful approach to this. I don't think Paul's counsel is that. Paul's counsel is that the type of helping that the Church of the Risen Jesus is actually called to do should have one goal and one goal only. Help people back onto that right path or onto that right path to begin with. Help people discover this better life with Jesus. Does this make sense? All right. Um, I'm going to pause for just a second, and then I'd like to to close for just a moment of prayer. Um, If you have any questions, please feel free to... um, to text them in to this number right here on the screen. That's an anonymous way for you to do this. That's Robo Risen right there. You can also RSVP to uh, Capital Alehouse at that number if you'd like to. If you don't have my personal phone number, uh, you can RSVP on Facebook as well. But uh, I do have a question that was texted in. Let me see if we have any others. And if anybody in the room has something you'd like to share on this, this is a uh, if, you're, if you're new to us or if you, even if this always feels uncomfortable to you, I want you to know. Yeah, me too. Um, that's uh, this. This is just this is just something we felt really, really called to do as a church, though, and really felt confident about doing that in certain seasons. That we should be asking questions um, together, and uh, and it's not question and answer. I don't have the answers. Uh, it is question and response. Sometimes the response is, good question. Somebody else, please give me another question quickly, uh, because I don't know what to do with that. But I do feel like whenever we gather like this, that we should not be assuming that we're all on the same page, and we shouldn't be afraid of, of our questions. We should be, uh, feel willing to ask them. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this one that was texted in here, and if you have something else, please feel free to text it. And if you want to raise your hand and ask something in the room, we could do that as well. First question is, on World 6, the boss of Super Mario Brothers, how do you beat him? Um, That is one of the tougher ones. Uh, I recommend get in the bubble. And uh, (laughs) some other question. Uh, Should we worry about being taken advantage of? Uh, for being too gentle, if our relationship with people is to to get involved with this gentleness and humility do do we need to fear this like well, what if they just get in the bubble and rob us of all the coins right? <laughs> what if, have I taken that metaphor too far i 'm sticking with it. It works so well for it connects me to the heart of Jesus so well um, <laughs> um, this This is a great question i 'm not going to try to respond to it too much uh, but but should we worry about being taken advantage of for being too gentle? Should we worry about in any kind of helping relationship, should we be concerned that we might get taken advantage of? And, um, and I, I will respond in two ways. First of all, um, should we be worried about it? I don't think so. I mean, you who are godly, if you're surrendered to the leading of God, if you're surrendered to what God is actually calling you to do, and, you, and you're just trying to, to play that role, should you be worried ab- ab- about whatever happens. No. Um, Will you get taken advantage of? Now, that's a second question. Uh, Yes, of course. Let's look back at the character and nature and life and ministry of Jesus Christ, right? If we are Christians, if we're following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, and we walk around expecting to never be taken advantage of, I think we need to look a little closer at his life. Now, Jesus does not get walked over. Jesus is not, but he does put himself in relationships where he knows, he knows some of you in here are vipers. He knows some of you are just here for the money. Some of you are just here for the influence. In fact, I think if we paid really close attention and we give Judas this bad, he gets this bad reputation for being the one that took advantage of it. They all were there for bad reasons to begin with. They all thought Jesus was going to be a famous, powerful, political leader. And they were all disappointed when he was crucified. That's the story. Jesus was taken advantage of by everybody. They all came trying to get a piece of the pie. And he washed their feet. He wrapped a towel around his waist and dried them. He served them. He loved them. He spoke into their lives powerful encouragement. He looked in the eye of Simon Peter, who he knew would deny him. And he said, You are actually going to be a foundational point of this church that I'm building. Yeah, and, and then he also looked at him a couple of days later and he's like, yeah, you're going to fail me too. <laughs> you're you're going to be wrong so much. You don't even believe the things about me that you say you believe about me. So, should we be worried? No. Should we expect to be taken advantage of? If you're doing it right. I mean, yeah. Yeah, but there's, but there's something profound about being taken advantage of in a relationship where you have stepped in humbly. You have stepped in gently, and you have said, I know you might take advantage of me here. I know that. I am more than what, and, I, and, and my relationship with you, my love for you matters enough to put myself on the line like that. Did you have something you want to say, Grandma Jean? Great. Yeah, is that the end of the question? (laughs) If someone asks, yeah, right, do I give my advice when someone says, yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome response. Yes. Uh if someone comes and they're like, okay, 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 I know, I know, I know. You're not supposed to give me advice. I know. You're not a professional counselor, right? You're not, we're not, we're not billing insurance for this one. Um Someone asks for advice. Should we give it? Are we are we sort of free to give it? And and of course you. I mean you're you're free to do whatever you want. You're free. I think I would only counsel that we always advise and always try to help people with a with a humility. We always try to advise people with a gentleness. Now I know you know I'm standing up here in a t-shirt and I'm I'm just like this this young guy. And I will continue to be this young guy for several more decades. Um, I don't know anything about anything. I, I'm still learning. I, I feel like I know less about the world now than I did 10 years ago. I probably will feel the same way when I'm 43. I'm guessing. I don't know. Some of you look like you've already passed 43. Is that true? <laughs> you know, it's kind of... Yet, one of the one of the the tenants, one of the, even about like a question and, and response time for us, this is a pretty good example of this, I hope, is I recognize that whenever I'm standing here holding a microphone and and especially whenever I'm holding this book and speaking with the authority of heaven and that it's it's pretty tempting and, and probably I would have the opportunity in some people's lives to say like, now, here's the advice. Here's what you should do. Here's what I know for a fact you should do. And some people, despite you know, all the reasons they shouldn't considering who I am, some people might still hear it and say like, well, he was holding the Bible and a microphone and we had prayed and he speaks on behalf of God and heaven. If he said it, I should do it. And that is the thing. Even even if we said it and it was right, even whenever it's black and white, crystal clear in these scriptures, I still think there is something advantageous about pointing people to source, pointing people to, getting people to God. You want my advice? You ask for my advice? Here's my advice, you know? But let me also sprinkle a little bit of something in that says, like, that's my advice, but I don't know everything about your situation as well as your heavenly Father does. So take my advice. Take Grandma Jean's advice, everybody, right? If you ask her for advice, whatever she tells you, it's going to be good. It's going to be helpful. It's going to be, but then also take that to God and say like, here's, here's what my, my friends and here's what the wisest people I know are telling me, God, can you also guide me in this? Because you know my situation even better than the wisest people I know. That's the best I can offer with that. I have one more question that was texted in. Um, What do we say? This is a similar question to one that was uh, posed last week, and I'm glad it's coming up again. I think this is this is a really, really complicated part of this that I can't answer for us, and and we all kind of uh, hopefully see that a little bit. What do we say or do to the person who clearly needs help but can't or won't ask for it? What do we do in these relationships where we're looking at somebody and we're like, I I know that's a mess. I know that's somebody who, I know that's an addiction they got to kick. I know that's a relationship they got to get out of. I know that's a job that's a dead end for them. I know that's a bad financial investment. I know these, I know it for a fact and they're not asking for help. They're not asking for advice. They're not asking for wisdom. What do I do in those relationships? And, and I, I'll try to, you know, say essentially what I said last week about this because again, I think it's the perfect way to to end this. We we lead with love, hippy dippy drew. I know, like this is, but it's 2020, and I'm being more hippy dippy than ever this year. We lead with love. What do I do whenever I see the people in my life who definitely need help, and they're not they're not going to ask for it? I think the only counsel that I can offer you now: every situation is different, and everything is. Everything is complicated. When we're dealing with addictions and we're dealing with bad, you know, abusive relationships people might be caught up in, we're dealing with financial things that are really clear cut, like no advisor would ever say to do that with your money. And we're like, well, I I think I could, but they're not asking me. I think the only thing that we can do is to be super, super careful to be love first encouragement-first people in everyone's life. Like, when somebody really, really needs help and they're really screwing up their life and and we're thinking, and they don't even know it, rarely is that actually the case. Rarely is someone addicted and thinks it's the right call, thinks it's good for them. Rarely is someone overspending every month of their lives and doesn't know that's not, good. Now, I know that some of us, some just aren't super well-educated in the way finances work and the way checkbook balances work and all. I know that, but rarely is that the case, and so I think us being able to play a role of like, I see the messes in your life, and I love you anyways, and then I want to be here to help if you want to change, and if you don't want to change, I can't force you to change. That's and that's largely why, you know, there's evidence on either side of this, but it's largely why intervention types of things, is that what that's called? What was the show? Uh, where When all your friends come around in a circle and they are like, surprise, we're going to fix you today. What's that called? Intervention. An intervention. Okay, yeah, that's this is capital I intervention. That's why they're not super effective statistically. You can't force someone to want to make changes. And so I, I think... I think that you know and again this is one of those areas where I'm kind of like if I had a loved one who was addicted and not willing to admit it and not seeking help I, you know I'm not going to be standing idly by and saying like well whenever you're ready I'll be here but I would hope that I would hope that I would always be seen as someone who's not judging them in their mess I would hope that I would always be seen as someone who's not disappointed Maybe I would be seen as someone who's broken for them, hurting for them, wanting what's best for them. But do you see the, you you know that there's always a line there, right? You know there's always this like, I want what's best for you, for you. And that's that's the thing. Interventions often become about us. They're like, look at what you're doing to all of us. And it just doesn't seem to work that way. But when an intervention is love first and it's show up and it's like man we just don't think we think you're more than that. We don't condemn you. But we we think you're we think you're worth more. If you want to take some steps towards a better life, we want to be here to help you do that. Does that make sense? And I mean that's I know it gets more complicated whenever it's it's scary stuff like drugs and it's scary stuff like really um crippling debt and issues like that and it's really it's scary stuff like bad relationships that could wreck your life for a long i know but at the in the grand scheme of things it's just the gospel all over again it's just what we're doing here as a church it's just we're just constantly like reaching out to people and saying hey we won't condemn you but if you want better for your life we'll try to help you find it that's all any of us are trying to do here all right i want to um close with just a word of prayer and uh and then we'll be on our way. Uh, Megan, you have anything you want to share? Anything you throw in at the end of this? absolutely. Harold, oh. share something on this. Yeah. It's just people. Absolutely. We want to, um, uh, and I'm, i appreciate you reminding me of that. Cause I wanted to pray about that today. And, and, you know, we, here we are. Um, you know, this was, uh, when we when we founded Risen Church, there was a, it was shortly after what happened in Charlottesville. We and, and we kind of went back and forth a little bit. Megan and I talked about it, it was like do we address that on like the first day of a church and and um and now here we are uh a few years into this and a few years down the road and we're seeing like the the issues that the, centuries of issues were not resolved in the last two years, that we still have these issues of race and issues of of um, the things that divide us and the different ways that we see the world. And man, I, how far would gentleness and humility go? how How far would it go for the church of the risen Jesus to just um, show up in prayer. Show up in, you know, for those who feel led to be present and led to be involved in those fights, uh, and they are fights um, that they would show up in a in a spirit of gentleness and humility. That they would show up saying, "I have my beliefs. I have the ways that I see it, um, but I might be wrong. I've been wrong before. Like what what beauty would come from that if we were really to follow in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior um, to just have. Humility about it, but let's let's pause. Let's pray for each other, and and then let's uh, and then af, after we pray for ourselves as a family, that we would take a moment to pray for our city, for our fellow brothers and sisters here. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, um, for your word today. I pray it was spoken clearly. Um, I pray that we were all able to experience something um, profound here, that we were all able to hear from you directly, not to hear from me. Um, not, not, not to hear from some sermon, God, but to have connected with your heart. I believe that the people in this room are uniquely called, uniquely equipped to help in their lives and in their situations. I believe that the Church of the Risen Jesus is actually here to make a difference, not here to get through this thing so that we can be with you in glory, here to bring heaven to earth. Right here, right now. And God, I pray that you would continue to lead every person in this room and those who consider this their family who aren't able to be here with us today and those serving in the other rooms right now and those kids that they are serving, that each one of them would hear your voice calling them to be someone who makes this world a better place, who makes other people's lives better, and, and, and who connects with your heart in, in ways that, that are truly good. God, I pray um, tomorrow as our the people of our nation continue to find reasons to divide, reasons to separate, reasons to shout back and forth at each other across aisles for for various things. Father, I pray first and foremost for for safety for for a degree of civility god and and for a day that that celebrates someone like Martin Luther King Jr., that it would be a day of of nonviolence. It would be a day where we recognize the futility and the ridiculousness of thinking that fire puts out fire, of thinking that fighting stops fighting, of thinking that violence ends violence. Father, that tomorrow, more than ever, would be a day where people started to look into each other's eyes and they would see the humanity on the other side of, of skin color. They would see humanity on the other side of, of different views of things, different, different values of things. They would see people on the other side of the aisle. Father, I pray as we enter into an election year that, this, that none of us would get as wrapped up in it as, <laughs> as maybe we have in the past. That we would actually recognize that every day we have chances to help people or hurt people. And that we would always choose to help. We love you, Father. We give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name I pray today. Amen.